Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff, one of the pastors on the, the team here. And um, I am super stoked to be with you on our first Sunday in Advent. Today's the first Sunday in Advent. I know, is this so great? I mean, we just got through Thanksgiving a few days ago. Some of you are still tripped to fanned out. I know that. But we are, we're ready to be looking uh, toward Christmas. And that's what um, Advent is all about. That's what we do here at church. And I'm going to tell you something. I, you will never hear me be cynical about Christmas. I love Christmas. And, you know, it's so easy to be cynical about Christmas. It's so easy to pick off the, you know, the commercialism. And this is what they're doing with the kids. And this is how, you know, the, um, uh, everybody wants us to do, you know, Black Friday and buy their stuff and waste money and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, I, forget it. Listen, Christmas reflects the best of God. And this is why Advent is the beginning of the church year. I mean, when you come into uh, this Christmas season, every part of it reflects this heart of God that we learn about throughout Advent who wanted to come and bring salvation through his love and sacrifice to the whole world. Like this is what God's heart is. And this is reflected in Christmas. Like this is what's so fun about it. I mean, like a, you got a tree in your house, for goodness sakes, which, you know, is not in the Bible, by the way, at all. There's no, nothing there about it. But do you remember when you were a kid, and maybe you have to get into the mindset of when you were more childlike or when you were a kid and you started to realize how incredible this Christmas idea was. Do you remember the day you woke up and thought, what are my parents doing bringing a tree into our house, like in the inside of our house? The tree, like the tree represents life, Right. You put lights on it, which represents the light of the world that Jesus came to let us see what is true and let us be able to have a relationship with God. The presence, the gift giving that happens at Christmas, that thing that happens inside all the little kids that get so pumped about finding just the right gift and sacrificing and wrapping and giving it to somebody and watching their face light up because we thought of them, right? That's all out of the heart of God, isn't it? I mean, Christmas... This is this incredible time to experience the kinds of things that God is, is all about, the sweetest and deepest ways of life, hope and joy and love and peace. That's what Advent is about. I want to talk about Advent really quickly because just before I get into the, the rest of my sermon, and um, because you hear that word Advent, and you're like, I'm not really sure what that is. What's that? Is that Christmas? Advent, the word means Advent. Advent means arrival or the coming it's the arriving of God on the scene. Advent is the celebration of God coming in the form of the Son, Jesus, in the flesh to die for the whole world that we might have a relationship with God. To defeat death and sin and separation from God, he initiated this plan by sending Jesus. And Advent is the time when we look forward to that. It's four Sundays long because we actually what we do is there's this longing and this waiting aspect to Advent, that we're waiting for it to unfold. We're longing for the coming of God into our midst. And so that's why we celebrate it on four successive Sundays, to at least get into that sort of spirit of longing and waiting for the gift that God has brought into our world. And it's why, it's kind of why it, it, it fits to have your Christmas tree for this month of Advent. You see the presents start to show up slowly but surely 
underneath the tree. We're moving toward that realization of God arriving on the scene. By the way, you got your Christmas tree? I got my Christmas tree. You got your Christmas tree? Yeah, me and three of you. Good. Yeah, yeah, I was sick all weekend and I just sat on the couch and my wife made it happen. It is awesome. Um, that's what Advent is. And we wait for it. There's a present, I mean, sorry, there's a past and present and future idea to this Advent as well. Think about it for a minute. Advent, as the church celebrates it, uh, has celebrated the past moment where God came in the flesh in the form of a baby 2,000 years ago. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? And we read that story and the shepherds were out in the night and there was a manger and there was no room in the inn and all of those things that we read. We're like, man, this is a historical moment when God showed up on the scene in the form of humanity. Unbelievable. It's crazy. And the world was waiting for that to happen. They were longing for not just a glimpse of God somewhere in the distance, not just a, a, a law that they could hopefully try to keep well enough to appease a God somewhere out in the distance. They were longing for God to come and rescue them. And so we hear these, these you know, the, all our Christmas carols that are rooted in that time, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Come, God, to us. Like this is, we celebrate that past idea that the world was waiting for the Savior to be born. God would come to the virgin and she'll be with child and they will call him, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? That's the waning, the longing for the Savior to be born. That's the sort of the, 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 the anticipation that we kind of get in touch with from the past. But there's also a present thing. We anticipate Jesus meeting us in our daily lives. Right now, Advent is a time for us to, to, to reflect on during this whole month, wow, God's going to actually show up for me in the present, in our daily lives. And so Advent, this is why the church would spend an entire month of its year anticipating the arrival of Jesus. It happened in the past, but we're also going to keep anticipating every day through the season of Advent, all four Sundays, oh, Jesus, you come now. Jesus, you come be with us. Emmanuel, God, be with me. That's the good news that we celebrate in Advent as, as well, that it's a, it's a present thing. And then there's this future idea of Advent as well, where the whole creation longs for his full appearing when he's going to come again in his fullness and bring his kingdom and all things will be made right. So not only are we celebrating the birth of when Jesus first came, we celebrate that Jesus daily comes to us and then we're also anticipating the day when he'll come again and come in his fullness. You got it? That's what Advent's about. That's why we spent a month doing it. It's looking forward. And we join the rest of the church worldwide in reflecting on sort of four traditional themes. There's hope, love, joy, peace. We don't always preach on all four of those, but often we do, and we are this year. And so you may have recognized throughout our songs, through the, the spoken word, through Michael's introductions and in worship, that we're going to talk about hope today. But first, I want to talk a little bit about this overall theme. We've talked about Advent, we, uh, our theme this year being revealed and revealed in us. Revealed and revealed in us. I just want to talk about the what's revealed. Like, what is revealed when we say that? What is revealed? You see, remember that the Advent is the coming of God to earth. And what is revealed in Jesus is God himself. I don't miss that. It's God himself is revealed in Jesus this is called the incarnation. 
that God took on flesh. John 1, chapter 1 says that Jesus, that God became a human being and moved into the neighborhood. That's what it says in, in, in one of the translations. God came to us. It's the incarnation, God manifesting himself in the person of the Son, who was fully human and fully God. So what was revealed is God, but more specifically, God's character, which we know is love, and God's plan, which we know was to rescue us. See, that's what's been revealed, friends. I'm going to say it again. That's what's been revealed. God's character, which we know is love for us, and God's plan, which is to rescue the world from sin and death. That's what's being revealed in Christ. And the theme that we chose to, to say was it's revealed, but it's also revealed in us. That's the this, this series that we're doing because that then that message we'll talk about in a moment is also revealed through our lives. So that's what Advent is, Christmas story, story of revelation of Jesus, his, his character and his plan. And this morning we want to focus on hope. The Christmas story is a story about hope being revealed. Man, hope is such a good word. Here's a definition of hope. Well, it's kind of a long definition. There's a number of definitions in this, but it's to, listen, when we know, we know, you may have heard this sermon, you may have given this sermon, you may know the answer that, you know, this is not hope like, and I think Linda said it as she led us in worship last week. This is not like hope like, yeah, hope, hope everything goes well today, or I hope it doesn't rain on, on my birthday party. Like, that's not hope. Biblical hope is a hope that is, it, it's rooted in a trust a waiting for, a longing. That's that anticipation part of Advent. It's a waiting, a longing, a looking for. It's a desire for something or someone. It's to expect something beneficial in the future and to be certain of its coming. There's a certainty about biblical hope. The word hope is used 129 times in our Bible. It is a big deal. And when you looked at all these songs and all these scriptures that we just did, you saw it all the way through there. I kind of wish I'd preached first and then you could have done all that incredible worship we just did. You would have seen, all, oh yeah, hope, there's hope in there. There's all this hope, hope, what's up? I put my hope in God. It's all over the scriptures. But friends, the, what hope really is about is, it is it's about being anchored in an object of certainty or permanence or reliability. So whenever you see it in scripture that we say we put our hope in God or our hope is in Jesus or he has become our living hope as we just sang, it is to say that in fact we are trusting in the permanence and the, um, the, uh, the assurance that God is real. That's what hope is about. And more than that, that God's going to come in that character of love and rescue, which was his plan. Let's talk about a couple of those things. That's what hope looks like. That's how it unfolds in the scriptures. There's two aspects to um, how Christmas story is a, a story about hope. Oh, no, first, you know what I want to do? I want to read a uh, couple of texts from the Christmas story that kind of show hope and show two people, as a matter of fact, who were putting their hope in God and were also understood that this was a message for the whole world. Um, in Luke chapter two, you can turn to it there. there is, uh, there's two people. I think this is a fascinating story. One is uh, a man named Simeon. Uh, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was, a, who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting. Look at there, there it is right there. He was anticipating the coming of God. He was anticipating God showing up in love and in rescue. 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the healing of Israel. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel. He was waiting for for what God was going to do with Israel to do it. Do you see it? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, before he had seen the Savior, before he had seen the Rescuer come. Next verse. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Now, you're like, wait, what's that? What's happening now right now? This is the beginning of Jesus' life. Jesus is 41 days old at this point. And we know this because this is after Jesus had, had been circumcised, which had, they waited eight days to circumcise Jesus. Then there was an additional 31 days. So eight plus 31 is 41 days. There was an additional 33 days. Did I say 33? I got a lot of NyQuil in my system right now. Um, there's, there's an additional 33 days to wait until they could come to the temple and offer sacrifices of thankfulness to God for their firstborn son. So this is Jesus, baby Jesus, 41 days old. And this righteous and devout person, Simeon, who was longing to see the rescue of God break into the world, was waiting. The Holy Spirit had said, go sit in the temple and wait because I promise you, God said through the Holy Spirit to him, you're gonna get to see the Savior. And then it happens. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms, baby Jesus, and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Look at, look at how he was waiting and longing for God to reveal himself, so much so that he was like, I can die now because I've seen it. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Man, so you see the salvation in there? You see a guy who was longing for the hope of God to be revealed, and he found it in Jesus, and there he celebrated it. A couple verses later, and it says there was also a woman that was there. It was a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Penuel the, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. I know you got to love the scripture's details, by the way. She was very old, it says. I don't know why it says that. Um, some of us that are old are like, what, so what, you know? Uh, she was very old. Uh, she had, and then these details, she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84, so um, again, why, why these details? Why would it give you this detail? Well, we know she was very old. That's all you have to say. She's very old. But she was so old that she had been living this uh, life. She had not remarried. The point, I think, is that she devoted her life to waiting for God. And she waited a long time faithfully. You see the spiritual hunger in her just in those comments? She was 84 she might've been older than that. Actually, they don't really know how to translate this. It may be that the correct translation is that she uh, was with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow for 84 years. So it could be that if she was married when she was 13, yikes, yep. And with her husband seven years, then she was 20. And then she was widowed for an additional 84 years. She could be 104 years old. And I think that's probably the point of putting the thing in. She's either 84 or 104. Anybody over 84? No, they don't have to tell me that. Point is, a whole life of longing for God. Because, and you know that, because look, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. What was she doing in the temple? Look at the next verses. 
And then coming up to them at that very moment, she saw Jesus there, like the Holy Spirit had prompted Simeon. She gave thanks to God, and then she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to what? To the redemption of Israel. She's like, I've seen the salvation of our God. He's come. She waited and longed for God to show up on the scene, and she was there to see him. Do you love those, that little picture? Why would, why would God show us that? Why would God keep that in the scriptures? That Simeon, who was devout, who was longing for God, this woman who for 84 years waited fasting and praying because they, their hope uh, was in Jesus, the Savior, showing up on the scene. Well, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the two things uh, about hope and how um, kind of what it means biblically. Um, it means so much out of 129 verses, and I think I might have read most of them this week, and I'm overwhelmed by the depth of this concept, but two brief, simple things I want you to not miss. One, hope is the expectation that God would be with us and come through in the here and now. Excuse me. That God would be with us and would come through in the here and now. Hope is not some sort of pie in the sky thing. Hope is not just the salvation that God offers someday, somewhere, but it's salvation that happens now in the here and now, that God would be present with us. This is what Christmas is so powerful about, not just, oh, there was a baby born somewhere 2,000 years ago, and there were magis and camels, and that was kind of cool and kind of cute, and I don't know why he was in the, in the manger, but like, it's not just about that. It's Emmanuel, God with us in the present. Like he came to be and to dwell with us as humans. That's an amazing story of good news. And so our hope in him, this hope that Jesus revealed, this character of God, this rescue of God was not just that somehow a baby was born or someday will be in heaven. It's about present. It's about God being with us in the midst of our day-to-day lives. This sounds a lot like my sermon from last week. If you're seeing a theme, it's there. It's something that God's been really doing with me, walking with me and calling me to call us to walk with him in the present. If you missed my sermon last week, go back and see it on the, on the web and, and, and watch this idea. But man, if we do not have him in the now, we're to be pitied more than all people. I, I don't know if you get the, the Wednesday devotional that goes out on email, uh, uh, I wrote it this week. I asked my wife if she read it. She said no, so don't be hurt. Uh, but if you didn't read it, go sign up for it. Usually the pastor writes a, a blog midweek after preaching. This week, the one I sent out, you might have seen the photo that came in your email. It was, just a, it was just a gas gauge and the needle was just laying on empty. And the first line of my, uh, of my blog said something along the lines of, um, if Jesus doesn't show up for me this week, I think I'm in trouble. I'm out of gas. And there's some other stuff that I shared last week and some stuff I shared inside that blog. Like, I'm out of gas. Like, I was so so full a few weeks ago and then some stuff came down and now I'm cooked. I need Jesus not to be born in a manger 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that's the hope of the world. Not to be the one who will one day usher me into the kingdom of heaven when it comes in its fullest. Yes, that is a joy. And I need him to show up for me today and tomorrow. That's what hope is, the expectation that he would be in our midst now. So when God revealed Jesus, he revealed hope to us that we'd be with him presently. 
I want you to look at this verse with me real fast. It's just, you got to go study it on your own. I'll give you $100 if you study it on your own this week. Romans chapter five. Therefore, this is all this good news about salvation. Look, therefore, since we've been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's a lot of religious words. You can go memorize that verse. I'll give you $200 if you memorize this passage. It's so good, but that's all about, man, we're standing in the good news that Jesus loves us and has embraced us and we're with God. That's so great. And then that last sentence, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There's this everyday connection thing that happens that we have gained access. Yes, we've been saved and forgiven. Yes, that's so good. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's so good. But we boast in the hope that God would be magnified in us, would be glorified in us. We boast in it right now. And we may think, well, that doesn't sound like right now. That kind of sounds like we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Hey, listen, look at the next couple verses. This is down and dirty. This is where it gets nitty gritty. See, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know, now this is getting real. We know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, what? In the every day when our lives are in the toilet and our gauge is on empty, we rejoice because hope is there. And hope, it says, keep reading, does not put us to shame. There's another, another translation says, does not disappoint us. Because God's love's been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given. Listen, this is what it's saying. Right now, in the here and now, no matter what suffering or struggle or bottom of the barrel you find yourself in, God promises his presence will come and be with us in the midst of it. He will pour out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He will manifest his love to us when we think there's no way we could experience his love or his presence. The worst of times. Yeah, we rejoice in his glory. And we'll also rejoice in our sufferings because suffering leads to perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope and hope will not disappoint us because God meets us in the midst of it. I don't know, maybe you need to hear that word today. I certainly do. So there's this expectation that God will come through and be with us now in the here and now. And I want to reaffirm it. I want to say it one more time. We're not just talking about forgiveness. If you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, thanks be to God. That's awesome. Your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. We're not just talking about you arising to some, I mean, you know, kind of stepping up to some sort of morality because you know what, if, if you're more moral than you were yesterday, praise God, thanks be, I'm so glad, stop it because you're filthy. That's so good that you're better, but you can only go so far. It's not, about, it's not about forgiveness. It's not about morality. It's not about inspiration because if you're all inspired to live for God, that's great. And then in two days, you're going to take a two by four figuratively upside the head and you're not going to feel inspired anymore and life's going to beat you down. Well, that sounds very negative, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not about that, but it's about Christ's life coming to be with us right where we are. Not your effort, not your morality, not your inspiration, not your warm fuzzies, not even the good news of your forgiveness, but Christ in us. The scriptures say, Colossians 1.27, Christ in us. Anybody know what I'm going to say? The hope of glory. Right now, right now, in the here and now, this is the hope that's been revealed. It is the expectation that God will be in us and will come through. 
And then secondly, it's clearly the expectation as well that in the end, all is going to be well. In the end, at the end of all things, that God will work out everything for his good for his glory and our goodness. Yes, it's about the end. There is ho- this is it's hope, it's the blessed the what is it called in scripture the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and savior Jesus Christ. Like one day man, he's going to come back and it's all going to be made new. And yeah, we hope for that that in the end. In the end, at the end of the story uh, is ours to know that Jesus will come through and make it all right. Yeah, there's for sure an end thing there. I'm going to skip that other verse there, Rick, because I'm running out of time. But this, this, this scripture is full of the idea that Jesus will one day come and make it all right. And our, our expectation is, our hope is that the expectation that he'll be with us in the present, but that also that in the end it'll be good. Why does it make a difference? That makes a difference because when you know the end of the story, then you don't get ta- caught up in the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs. You're like, there's glory at the end. That's the hope that has been revealed to us. And in the end, we'll be brought into the kingdom in its fullness and there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more darkness. We won't even need a sun in that world because Jesus himself will be our light. I mean, it is what we've been built to long for and one day it's gonna come. It's now, but not yet. The lights on our tree give a glimpse of that glory and that light, but it's not fully here yet and one day it will be here and we live in that. I've given this illustration before. It's so powerful that, that one of the, I think it was the very last Harry Potter book that my kids were like, when they were all being revealed, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whenever that was, that my kids, one of them was like, oh, the twists and the turns of the story, it's so stressful. And so they turned to the very last page of the very last book. Do you remember? And the very last phrase of the Harry Potter series says, and all was well. And one of my kids said to the other, it says all is well. And the other one said, why'd you tell me how it ended? And the first one said, because I couldn't take the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs and the stress. But now I know how it ends. And I'm free. You know the end of the story. And all is going to be well. And we are people that have been, uh, God has come and revealed his hope to us. He'll be with us in the present, but in the end, all is going to be made, made finished and made well. So Christmas is about hope being revealed in Jesus, the hope that he'll be here now, the hope that in the end, all will be well. And we got to talk before we're done, though, about the fact that not only is hope revealed in Jesus, but now it gets revealed in us because we're Jesus' people. We actually become, you guys, agents of this good news in the world. The hope that we've embraced is now made manifest in us and revealed uh, to a world that needs hope. We become agents of hope as we live in it. I want to talk about two ways it looks very briefly. Hope revealed in us is a fragrance of the presence of Jesus in our now, just like I was talking about. Hope revealed in us to the world is a fragrance. It's a smell of the Jesus in our now. We get to be you understand what I'm saying? You guys are like, you're talking about smelling like Jesus? Yes! I'm talking about smelling, living a life in such a way that smells like Jesus is present with you. Because if we're walking with Jesus and he's meeting us every day with what it is that we need for that day, then his life flowing through us, again, not just our forgiveness, not our morality, not our, our works, not our efforts, but his life flowing through us, you become 
a person who smells like good news to the world. Hey, by the way, what else do you have to give the world? Honestly, uh, your version of morality, your subcultural expectations, what you have to give the world is the very presence of Jesus in you that becomes a light, it becomes a witness to them. Now, this is a whole other sermon and sermon series to talk about, all right, so then how do you talk about that with people? Do you just, you know, march down the, the uh, corridors in your office building talking about, hey, I, yeah, I know what you're thinking. I smell like Jesus. Who wants to know him? You know, you know, that's not what you do. But when you smell like Jesus, you become hope and people who are looking for hope start to find their way to you and the Holy Spirit does all kinds of things and opens doors. And if you walk with Jesus, you'll figure out how to walk through them. But hope revealed in us is a fragrance that the world will long to be around because they're looking for hope. Second, hope revealed in us is a freedom that comes from knowing that one day all will be well. It's a freedom. You know super free people that love Jesus. They're super free. They're kind of done with caring what people think about them. They're done with living lives of scarcity. They're done with fear. They're done with self-centeredness. They're present and they're free and they're full of just that Jesus smelling stuff. And it is a delight and it is incredibly attractive. We get to be people who get free because we know the end of the story and the world will want to know what it is that we are drinking. And he'll open up the opportunities for us to share with them the freedom that we found in Christ and set them free from lives that are mired in those things. Well, this might feel to you like a pretty unreasonable burden. That might feel pretty overwhelming because you, even at your best, you're like, I don't, I'm not super fragrant and I'm not super free. Yeah, and you know what? It really is. You're not alone. It really is an unreasonable expectation for you. Let me just give you this last verse. Band, why don't you guys come up here? This last verse from, from, um, from Romans chapter 13. Look at it. May the God of hope, this is, the, this, this is what he's revealed, right? He's, he's a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. Now, trusting him is just another version of putting your hope in him. So read that sentence with me again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may, say that with me. What does it say? Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you actually can't bring hope. You manifest the hope by overflowing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to be agents of that hope because it's flowing out of us by God's power himself. Friends, this from last week is what the vine and the branches metaphor was all about. That apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we stay connected to him, the life of Christ flows through us and overflows to a world that needs hope. In fact, I want to end, but I got to hear this quote. This is from Dallas Willard, just a brilliant Christian philosopher and writer. He said, your life will be poised to become a life of the same quality as Christ's because it is indeed Christ's. He really does live on in us. Then listen to this word. The incarnation continues through us, his servants. Isn't that beautiful? So the hope that has been revealed by God coming to share his love and his plan of rescue 
is now shared through us as his agents of hope. So once again, I'm ending my sermon the same way I ended my sermon last week, which is to say, so the best we can do during this season is to stay connected to the vine, to walk with Jesus, and his hope will overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as is tradition, we light the Advent candle each week. The Christ candle is at the center. The light represents the revealing of God coming in flesh, slowly but surely revealing over this month. And this first week, the Advent candle, as I light it, I proclaim church, that we're a people who stand in the stream, the historical stream of those who long for the coming of Jesus to us and to our world. And I proclaim that we are people of hope, connected to the vine, allowing his hope to flow out to the world. Let's stand and respond in worship together.